Um, you know, Proverbs. Oh, thanks, Darlin. I don't call every woman here Darlin, just my wife. Smile back at me. This is going to be a rough morning. All right. Um, okay, so today, uh, being the second, I chose, let's start with one proverb, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. So um, we're in the third part of a series where I've been talking about how sometimes we get um, showered with advice that's just not so good, and somehow it can get into the way we walk. Um, I, I was preparing this, and I thought of a guy who got showered with advice at one point, and it, it took me back in my memory to a presidential election that happened in the 1970s. Now, some of you were not even alive then, uh, but many of you will remember this is uh, Jimmy Carter. He was a candidate at the time, but I'm going to tell you the story about it, but he became the president. And this is not my attempt to tell you to support him or not support him or anything. This is not a political statement. But in that campaign, um, he gave an interview in, 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 a, in a famous magazine, which I'd rather not tell you the name of because I don't want to promote it, but it was Playboy magazine. Okay, so I'm not promoting the magazine, but it was a famous interview because of something he said. He gave this long interview, and um, it was just your typical candidate's interview. What would you do in foreign policy and monetary and all this kind of stuff? And it was a fairly mundane, run-of-the-mill policy or policy kind of interview. And then as the interview was ending, and he was literally walking out of the room with these two reporters from the magazine, they left the recorder running and they asked him one more question and he kind of unzipped and was very, very transparent. And he started talking about his faith. He's a Baptist man and um, he started talking about his faith and they were concerned. If you become president because you're a Baptist Christian man, this is going to turn into a Baptist theocracy and, and you'll all of a sudden hear from God in the middle of the night to push the button and off will go the missiles or something. I mean, they were afraid that God would have too much influence in our government. And so he was addressing that concern and he said, yeah, you know, God gives us, but, but we're not to judge other people. And he, he ends up quoting Jesus and he's talking about a topic where the Lord gives us really high standards to live by, but he doesn't allow us to judge each other. And then he unzips and he quotes Jesus, and he quotes Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, But I say, whoever has lusted for a woman in his heart has already committed adultery. And he says, That's me. And thinking of who they were interviewing, a man who was trying to be president of the United States, saying anything like, I lust after women which I think he was just trying to be transparent. I think he was saying, I'm a part of the male club. I'm a part of most men. Every man at some point has looked somewhere and thought, oh, that's pretty nice. Right? No, no, not you guys. Present company excluded. Um, and, and no women ever do that either. But not in this church. But anyway, so I don't know where the kids come from. Anyway, so um, he, he basically was being really transparent. But man, did he get hammered after that. He got it from every side. He got it from Christians who were saying, what business do you have doing an interview with Playboy magazine? Even though he was quoting Jesus, <laughs> which was pretty cool. I mean, okay, I didn't see the magazine, so okay, but you can get the whole interview on the internet without seeing the magazine. But the thing was, in Playboy magazine, he's quoting Jesus. Wow! That's pretty amazing. But the Christian 
uh, you know, the Christian right was saying, what are you doing in this magazine? And they were mad at him for that. And then, of course, you had the people who would, were regular readers of the magazine saying, don't tell us what adultery, don't, don't you be ta- wagging your, don't be wagging Jesus at us. He was getting it from every side. And I, I thought about that um, because that's going to be the topic we're going to talk a little bit about today. And I'm thinking, you know what? He was getting showered with advice, what he should have done. And all of the advice was opposite. In fact, if you want to, you can find advice to tell you to do whatever you want to do. The world is full of advice, and uh, a lot of really crummy advice will mess you up. It really will. And I, I, I'm thinking about this very topic. Nobody ever gets married thinking, you know, oh, she's beautiful, we're getting married tomorrow, but... I'm going to set this goal that probably within the first 10 years of my marriage, I'm going to have adultery. I'm going to have an affair. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody thinks, you know, I'm going to mess around. I'm going to hurt my family. I'm going to lose the respect of my kids. Nobody thinks that way. However, people do it all the time. They really do. And in fact, I think, you know, the fact that people would agree that, um, you know, it's not anything anybody, any of us would plan to do, but it happens all the time, kind of also then suggests that we agree with one of the commandments, Exodus 20, verse 14, which is the seventh commandment that says this. It says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, listen, if you're a visitor here, I don't get out the Ten Commandments and thump on them every week. It's pretty rare for me to um, to quote the Ten Commandments, I think there's plenty, plenty of understanding out there about that. I think that we should get into this once in a while as a church, and I'm not afraid of the Ten Commandments. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading the Ten Commandments, and boy, did I get off on a rabbit trail in my study this week. I mean, so I'm going to put the Ten Commandments up for you, and we'll just leave it up there for a little while so that you can see what they say in case you don't know. Um, I'm just going to blow through them one through ten. Um, number one, you'll have no other gods before me. Two, no idols. Don't bow down to other idols. Three, don't misuse the name of God. Four, keep the Sabbath, you know, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Five, honor your mother and your father. Six, do not commit murder. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not bear false, false witness. Ten, don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor or anybody else. And um, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us um, how the words of the commandments were distributed on the tablets. Okay, so the fact that you commonly see this kind of an image where there's two tablets and it's split, it's probably correct the way that it actually was formed. But we don't know. So there's no proof about this. And now it becomes kind of like, what do you think God was up to? And, and um, you know, but there were, it was, it's believed that there were two tablets, that the two, two tablets had five um, commandments on each. And it's believed that... that um, Anyway, so I'm looking at this, and I, you know, I talk about weird. I'm a total nerd. And I'm thinking, well, okay, five on each in this order. Why, God? Why this order? Why that structure? Might be a complete waste of time rabbit trail. Could be. Might not be. So I'm just going to take you with me for a minute and tell you what I found out. I mean, I, I researched this. There, here are some of the theories. The first, one, first theory is that, okay, you look at these commandments, and um, one through four kind of describe man's relationship, how man's supposed to relate to God. Okay, fair enough. Now those talk about man's relationship to God. Um, the sixth, I'll come back to number five, the sixth through ten talk about 
how humanity relates to humanity, how we're supposed to relate to each other. And then number five kind of bridges between those two. That's one thought. Another thought is that, um, that, that it starts with number one in, in, in divine matters, and it works its way all the way down to human matters. And the higher on the list of numbers, the higher the value or the importance of the... Of the okay, so that's another theory. Okay, I can see that. Here's another one. Now, this one intrigued me. Because if they were five and five, and they came in the, in the, in the, in the, in the order that we see here, there's some corresponding between what's on the left tablet and what's on the right tablet. Like, you know, murder which you see in Thou Shalt Not Kill, and, and murder up there on the uh, upper right, um, murder is an injury to God because man was crafted in God's image. Okay. And the drop-down one, marital infidelity, which is the equivalent to um, abandoning God. Okay, I see that. Stealing tends to lead to having some sort of a false oath. And, and, and you keep going down there. You start looking at things like the Sabbath. Okay, a Sabbath violator or someone who rejects the idea that, that God created the, the, the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. And, and then the last one is, you know, someone who covets another man's wife is going to father, event, possibly a child, who's going to reject who the real father is and they're somehow not going to be able to honor mother and father. Like, I mean, it's just, okay, it's possible. A possibility, end of rabbit trail. Uh, but I think sometimes our consideration of why did God do things the way he did it, and he doesn't always tell us, but the why sometimes will help us to see something about God's heart and, and maybe get someplace that we wouldn't necessarily get. And So I look at this whole thing and I think, okay, could have put a lot of things on this list, but he talks about what he talks about, and, and he talks about adultery. It's pretty high up the list. And why, why, why? And is it any real surprise that God is so interested in marriage, you know, as, and I mean marriage is the way God would define it. I mean, I mean um, I, in fact, if you look at the Word of God and the topic of marriage, um, God uses marriage as a representation of his relationship to the church. You'll see that as a type. You'll see that all throughout. God talks about the bride, uh, the bride of Christ. You can see it in Ephesians 5 and in 2 Corinthians 11 and Revelation 19 and 20. Lots and lots of places you can find that. So God views marriage as somehow representative of his relationship with the church, with the bride, with you. If you're a believer, if you're part of the bride of Christ. And he invented the institution of marriage, and he was very, very specific in his original design. He had intentional purposes, and the the purposes were an intended blessing in that original design. And his original design is one man and one woman. Without respect to what our culture says it is, there are civil arrangements, but what God was intending was for one man and one woman. That's the reason they would leave their mother and the father, cleave and become one flesh, and walk into a myriad of blessings that God had for them. And beyond that, this is a personal opinion from experience, I think that the primary institution in life that the Lord has used to shape me to be less like Terry and more like Christ, to whatever degree that's happened, the institution that's done that more than anything else is being married. (laughs) It will shape you. The second thing that will shape you is having children. (laughs) It will shape you. Anyway, but I I think that's heaven's intention. 
I think heaven's intention is to not, not let us stay the way we are, and he's going to somehow make us to be more like Christ. And marriage is the primary, one of the primary ways, if that's the pathway that the Lord has called you on. By the way, if he hasn't, he still plans to shape you to be more like him. It's just the way he loves you. And so, um, you know, um, I mean, he looks at that, he sees the institution of marriage, and, and it's designed the way, it, and, and, and it, he takes two people who are not alike, Men and women are not alike. Have you noticed that? And he says, okay, I'm going to put them together. Kind of like how you and I, the bride of Christ, we're not like God. But yet he puts us, he marries us together. And there's a whole lot going into, that's a whole different message series and a rabbit trail, so I'm just going to back away from there, except to say this. This is the reason why the institution of marriage is so important to the Lord. And I don't want to get into civil, civil issues and uh, I don't want to talk about what our government and what our culture is doing. I care about that, but it's not really germane. What I care about most is what does God see in the institution because of what he's trying to do. And I think um, when God looks at our culture and sees that marriage tends to be viewed as a source of personal fulfillment, that to a degree, to some degree, it breaks his heart because there's something much grander. And, uh, you know, I asked myself the question, what if God's purposes for marriage are different than just a fun way to repopulate the species? What if? You have to loosen up some, okay? Because we're going to get to some other stuff later, and I'm going to need you smiling at me then, please. Okay, so loosen up. And, And the truth is that there is no relationship that comes with a lifetime guarantee. There isn't. Even men and women who, who grow up in stable homes, who, who attend church, who call themselves Christians, who, who promise until death do us part, even people that do that can have it all fall apart. They can. Here's, um, here's, how, um, here's some statistics about our world. Um, you've probably heard of Gallup. They did a poll, and, um, and they were surveying people about... Um, the, su- the subject was controversial behaviors, and they had 20 controversial behaviors. And I won't go into them, but they were controversial behaviors. The top topic that was agreed upon by 91% of everyone was this. They, the, the, the 91% of, of adults say this. Adultery is always wrong. Now, there were other controversial behaviors, a lot of them in there. Um, domestic abuse got a lower negative rating than adultery. Okay? So just to give you a scope, this is the most commonly viewed point of what is the wrong thing for people to behave. Adultery, number one. And um, even, and, and these are not Christians. This was across the board people that believe, the, the vast majority of people believe that um, adultery is wrong, that it's a sin. Yet, according to the Journal of psychology and Christianity, 65% of men, 55% of women will have had an affair before they're 40. And by the way, that 65, 45, those numbers are all over the map. Um, But here's what scientists agree with. They're getting closer. It used to be that it was a lot more guys. It still is more guys. But the gap is getting narrow. What's changed? I don't know. In our culture, um, women have more opportunities for careers now, and they're able to be the breadwinner themselves. And um, there are a lot of social um, 
pressures and freedoms that have come from that. And the point I want to make is that the trend isn't good. It's, it's, the trend isn't good. Now, nobody plans it, and almost everybody agrees it's wrong. So how does it happen? That's the question. How does it happen? I think we can figure it out, but how's that question? And I want to say this right now. My desire today is, is not to ignite some sort of fear or anxiety in you. Not at all. You know, oh, no, my spouse is going to... That is not what I'm trying to start here. And instead, what I want to do is teach on a topic that I feel... Um, I, and unfortunately, I really wish I didn't have to talk about this topic. And I'm not talking about this topic because of specific examples. of it. I just feel like this is, this is something in the Word of God that the Lord wants addressed. He talks a lot about it. And so today I'm going to be a little more direct than I've been. And I, I, you know, you're, you're, you're just looking at a pastor who has worked with a lot of people over decades now, and I'm telling you, this is a big problem. Massive problem. And it starts out like this, you know. Somebody says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ever do this. I'm, I'm happily married. And, and, and then one day, you know, I start taking my marriage for granted. I don't really value my spouse the way I used to and my heart kind of just starts to drift just a little tiny bit and and I read something or I see something or I look at something that I shouldn't look at and then I meet somebody else who's kind of interesting you know but it's no big deal it's just an interesting thing and then we find some common interests and then we kind of start spending more time together because of those common interests and then we kind of start anticipating that time together and then we kind of start planning that time together and we invent reasons to spend more time together and then eventually accidentally we kind of brush up against each other at some point and I mean it just goes it just goes down this trail and one day you wake up and you went a long ways down a trail that you never intended to walk down you never meant to be there you didn't plan to go there. But somehow, in that process, you crossed over several lines that, um, that were there, and you woke up one day. And uh, you woke up in trouble. And so this is, this, is, this, this is a very, very common pattern, and it's a pathway. So I want to talk about that and, uh, and tell you about this pathway a little bit because I want you to see the path. And then we'll talk about what the Lord would, would, how the Lord would guide us. So this, this, these are the most common steps. I'm going to call this the, the most common steps to adultery. And I really believe that the Lord's going to give us, his word's going to give us some advice on how to put ourselves, you know, to not find ourselves on these waypoints as we go. So, um, and I want to say this about this message today. If you're not married, this is completely relevant to you. You will either be in a relationship at some point, marriage or not, where character will be important to you. And if you're not married, you still circulate in a culture that really needs the institution of marriage to be properly honored and valued. And you have opportunities and input to influence people around you. So this, is, this message is for every single one of us, not just people who are married. Okay, so common steps to adultery. The first one, the first most common one is we see people neglect their marriage. And this is a surefire way to kill intimacy in your marriage is to neglect your marriage. And I, I, I think, you know, it's the most common, maybe the most simple way to neglect it is to just find something else to put your heart into. Give your best into. It could be anything else at all. It doesn't have to be, you know, it can be a hobby. It can be, 
You know, your job, it can be, you know, your yard, it can be social media, where you got to know what's going on, you know, and you just, whatever, you can, you, can get, you can get all into fitness, where it's all about, you know, getting ripped and getting everything perfect so you look just right in your Lululemon. <laughs> whatever Lululemon is, I have no idea. And, um, you know, but one that's really, really common is you can put your heart into your children ahead of your marriage. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake. It's a really, really common one. Another way that people um, neglect their marriage is they just kind of let themselves go. And uh, we, you know, there was a time we used to take care of ourselves. We just don't do it anymore. Or another one is, is we can just take our spouse for granted. I mean, we just don't talk anymore. We, we don't have any sort of emotional intimacy we don't share our feelings. Or another way that we neglect our marriage is we just don't open up in physical intimacy anymore. You know, We think to ourselves, well, I have to do it. I'm going to make it boring. It's going to be predictable. It's going to be the same every time. It's going to be the same. Fill in the blank. I'm not going to go any deeper into that hole. I'm going to stop right there and back out because I'll just get in trouble. I mean, but we, but we, just, we just, it's a really, really common problem where one person maybe just decides this and they become a dud in the bedroom. And it's just a, a way to neglect your marriage. Now, I know that potentially there could be somebody in the room that wants to say amen right now, but that would be really weird, so don't do that. Okay? Okay, steps to um, the pathway of adultery. The first one is neglect your marriage. The second one is this. You find common interests and form an emotional bond with somebody else. Okay, the first category was nothing to do with anybody else. It was with to do with where you let your heart go. Second one, same thing, and that's, you know, maybe you're in a class together somewhere or you're sharing a project at work or something, and your thought life, your thought life starts to sound like this. Well, you know, he understands me. Well, she gets me. She likes my jokes. My wife doesn't understand me like this. Or my husband, you know. And then your heart starts to go someplace that it never, ever belongs. And, and, and that's easier to do now because you've been neglecting your marriage, right? And so, you know, you, you know and you say to yourself, oh, I, I've got emotional needs too, right? I mean, I mean, and this other person is starting to meet them. And we do that. And so you start planning. You start planning something. Well, if I go to this place, you know, they like this coffee shop and they're there every day and if I go there, I might run into this person or you start to anticipate it. And, and, and ladies, um, you know, maybe you start to dress a little bit different. A little bit more flair. Maybe you go down a size just to make, you know, a little more skin show, a little more shape show. And uh, guys, you know, guys, we do it too. Suck it in the gut. Smile more. Make eye contact, you know. Guys, we do it too. Different way to do it. You know, ladies, you can do that thing with your hair. I don't know, have any idea what that looked like and you're laughing at me. You know, but we can just kind of flirt a little bit and make it interesting and playful and, you know, and, and then, then, I mean, listen, I've heard this before. People will send a text message or they'll contact me. You know what, I, I want you to know I'm praying for you because God has put you on my heart. Let me just say right now, uh-uh. 
That is not true. If you are married and the Lord has put someone on your heart that belongs to the opposite sex that is not your spouse, the Lord's going to put it on your spouse's heart at the same time. (laughs) Okay, so if you're thinking the Lord puts someone on your heart that you're supposed to be praying for and ministering to that's opposite sex that's not your mate, that's not God. You may be hearing that, but it's not coming from heaven. The Lord is not going to put someone into your life between you and your mate. So if the Lord, the Lord does do that sometimes. He'll put, the, put someone on our heart. And I will find out when I say to my wife, hey, I'm thinking about so-and-so. She'll say, me too. And we'll say, okay, let's go after it together. Together. And, you know, that will happen occasionally. The Lord will put somebody on my heart. I pastor people and it just happens and I'm in my study and the Lord will, and I'll say, oh, I, I need to make a contact. And I'll send a woman a text. Guess what I do? Honey, Okay, here's a text message I just sent. My wife has my codes. She can get into my computer. She can, get in, she can see my text messages. None of that stuff's secret from her. Anyway, I just want to say to you, if the Lord's saying that to you, uh-uh, unless your, 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 your spouse is getting that same message together and you work on it. So most common p- steps on the pathway is neglect your marriage, find common interests, and then form an emotional bond. And then number three is we start to make excuses and rationalizations. We make excuses. You know, We blame our spouse. I think this is probably the number one way that that happens. You know, well, if he was meeting my needs, if she was, you know, pay some attention to me, and if I didn't have to put up with this all the time, you know, people blame their spouse because I think somehow it takes them off the hook for, for going someplace with their heart that they don't know they don't belong. Makes it easier, you know. And, and then, and then we, we get into something, and this is dangerous, some dangerous self-talk. We say to ourselves, you know, I'm never really going to go through with this. That's dangerous because you realize you're in danger. But you are overestimating your own spirituality. You are underestimating the risk there. You say, you know, that's just really harmless. It's being playful. It isn't that big a deal. And I'm never going to actually cross the line. And that kind of dangerous talk then becomes a form of self-convincing talk where we say things like this. Well, this was probably what was meant to be. This is who God really wanted me to be with to begin with anyway. None of us, none of us plan to betray the one that we promised before God, you know, to do our life with, for better or worse, richer or poorer, <laughs> sickness sin and health. None of us plan that, but still people do it all the time. And, and uh, thankfully today, you know, I think God's going to give us a few things that he's going to plant them down in our heart that are good. And you might be married now, or, you know, maybe you're 16 and you're headed towards marriage, um, you know, 10 years from now. And here are some safeguards that, to help you do whatever it takes to stay faithful. These are safeguards to help you do whatever it takes to stay faithful. Number one, I encourage you to do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risks. Radically reduce them. You know, it's sig- significant that this kind of sin is called out differently than other kinds of sin in the Bible. The word tells us, you know, when it comes to sin, it tells us where to fight it, where to resist it. That's not what the word says about this kind of sin, about sexual sin. It says we're to flee, run, you know, run for us. It, it says, it says don't, don't, do not stand your ground and try to fight it. That's not what scripture says about sexual It says run. God knows something about a weak area in us 
And um, it tells us to run. And, and why? I mean, it's the question, why is that different? Um, I, I believe, when, and, and what the Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians, is that, that sexual sin is different. Every other sin is outside the body. But sexual sin is different because it also affects us, our physical body and our spiritual. In uh, Proverbs 5, which you know, I love Proverbs, um, verse 8, there's this father, he's talking to his son about an adulterous woman. And here's what the father says to the son, and he's trying to help the son radically reduce the risk here, okay? The father says this, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Hmm. And it kind of comes out, you know, like this. Well, I'm not really doing anything wrong. It's kind of innocent. I mean, there's nothing wrong here. And, you know, I mean well. And, and these little steps keep t- going on. And all of a sudden, I find myself having taken little steps. And all of a sudden, I'm way, way off of where I thought I'd be. And I've crossed the line. And what happens is that that walk takes us and we cross line after line thinking to ourselves, you know, I'm safe because I haven't actually committed adultery yet. Problem is, the line, the safety line, isn't over there just before adultery. It's way back over on this side. We need to understand that the safety line, actually, you know, we're way over here. The safety line isn't over there. You know where the safety line is? It's right here. This is where the line gets crossed. We have to understand that that's where the line for sin actually exists, is right there, and it's in our heart. And the line where sin starts is before we ever commit an act, it actually starts in our minds. Or it can start in our eyes, or in our heart. And for a lot of people, their line for sin is just in the wrong place. It's just in the wrong place, you know. And if they think if the line starts before the touch, but instead they need to back it way up and get it right down inside their heart or in their eyes or in their mind. And um, here we are now with Jimmy, Jimmy Carter quoting Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The line starts right there in the heart. Starts in the eyes and the mind. Long before you ever act, it's all about the heart. So here's a few quick bullet points on this one. Thoughts to help, keep, uh, help you radically reduce the risk. I want to encourage you, number one, to keep a growing relationship with Christ. Keep your relationship, your walk with the Lord. Start there. And if you're ma- married, what more powerful way is there for you to do that? With your mate. You know, Every single day, sharing God's word together, praying together, talking about spiritual things together or with your kids, you know, it's, it's, it's really good and you'll both continue to go. Second, second bullet point, never be alone with the wrong people. Now, I get a lot of static about this topic, but I'm just t- telling you right now, it, it might chafe and some of you might think that this is stupid, Terry, you know. But in my world, it's real simple. I am not alone with women. The women that I'm alone with, that God has given me permission to be alone with, my wife, my daughter, granddaughters, or my mom. I think they're all safe. <laughs> Not, I, I'm pretty sure even my mom is safe. Thanks for being safe, mom. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I just, I, I, I'm just not going to be alone with a woman. 
just doesn't happen. If, if that doesn't mean I don't pastor women in the church, I do. But there's going to be someone else with me. If you are a woman in this church and you end up having a meeting with me, it'll be with your husband, we'll be there, or my wife, or somebody that we trust. Not, not because I don't trust me and I don't trust you. There's even an appearance issue there. It's just not wise. It's just not wise. And, um, you know, I lead that way, and it's, I expect it of the leadership team here. You know, I mean, last Sunday we, um, we stood up in front of you, a young couple who are now pastoring with us, uh, Beth and Aaron Ringering, and I've, I've had this, in, I, I can dial up that intense look in, I didn't do it up here, but I had done it a couple of times privately, you know, for no reason other than to say, here's the standard. And I look them both in the eye. I look, I look Aaron in the eye and I said, do, you do not, you are a youth pastor, you will not be ministering to high school age girls by yourself. Ever. Right? <laughs> Sounds like a meme. Oh man, I'm just telling you, I've, I've, I've been down the road, I've seen what happens. And so we just, we'll just build that line of safety way back somewhere. And by the way, we somehow still can effectively pastor kids by doing righteous things like that. So, okay, another, another bullet point is this. Don't ever talk bad about your spouse. Don't ever, just don't do it. You know, well, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she might be yeah, 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 yeah. But don't tell other people. And do not put it on Facebook, okay? <laughs> Here's another one. Surround yourselves with strong marriages. Get around people, you know, you're going to become like the people that you're around. You know, surround, surround yourself with people that are growing spiritually, that, that can speak life into your marriage. You know, be around people. I, I try to be around people that I want to be like. And, and if you're around people who are always trash-talking their mate and, and doing stupid things, then you're surrounding yourself with what Scripture calls as bad company, Right? And there is a scripture that gets very, very direct with us about this. It says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Okay? So just be aware of that. And here's one more bullet point. Avoid all inappropriate places and situations. Just don't go someplace where you'll be tempted. I mean, everybody at at work is maybe going out for drinks. That used to happen to me a lot when I worked a long time ago at at and was like really common. All the management people would go out together and we would do our you know, thing. And I, 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 I went at times because I socially needed to go with the group. And listen, I'm not a teetotaler. I don't not, that's not my point today. But I didn't want to set an example with them because they would, they would drink more than they ought. And there was some business that would go on and so forth and I couldn't not go. So I had to be really wise about that. When the numbers got down to an appropriate size, I was out of there. I would have a Coke. They got to the point where they would just order a Coke for me. I just felt like if I wanted to have a glass of wine, it wasn't going to be with this group of people. Just was inappropriate place and time to do that. So, you know, so, so avoid inappropriate. I mean, if an ex-high school flame sends you a text message, hey, I'm in town. Just be good for us just to connect. You have a delete button. You don't have to answer say, I'm deleting you. You just delete it. <laughs> or give it to your spouse to answer. <laughs> Hi, fill in the blank. This is Lisa's husband. I'd love to meet with you. <laughs> we got some talking to do. No. <laughs> you know, when you're actually flirting with danger, change, change something. Build something new. Subtract something. 
it's, it's, it's much easier to make a change and to draw a boundary than to rebuild something that's been damaged at the foundation. And that's what happens when a marriage gets assaulted by this. Okay, radically reduce the risk. Number two, do whatever it takes to invest passionately in your marriage. Proverbs 5, verses 18 to 20. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Buckle up. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. My, why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? What God's saying here? I love what I've heard about this. What God's saying here is if, if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, water your own yard. <laughs> Everything I say now could get off. I mean, I just need it. Water your own yard. You know, be intoxicated with the love of your own spouse. And that Hebrew word intoxicated, you know, it, it, it can be properly translated as ravished captivated, enraptured, consumed. That's how you're supposed to feel about your married spouse. Intoxicated. We just celebrated our 41st wedding anniversary, and I am intoxicated about you, woman. (laughs) You did good, honey, sticking with me for so long. You were all wondering, what are you doing, Terry? Okay. Consistently invest in the past of your own marriage. And here's a few ways to do this, okay? (laughs) One is make sure that you get alone. You know, you need to have, and guard that time, you need to have a date night. You need to have a time where, you know, it is, I recommend at least once a week, and that's not easy to do, especially when you start having it. This is not with the kids. This is where you're not with other people. You are alone together. Okay, the best way to love your kids, by the way, is to love your spouse. And I will say this to you. The best way to love your spouse is to love God. It works uphill on this deal. I, 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 if I, best way I can love my own children is to love that woman. Okay, so get alone. Second one is this. Get spiritual again. You know, pray together. You talk to each other about what the Lord might be speaking to your heart and what the impressions are and, and you compare notes and somehow you find your way up God's trail together. One more. Get alone, get spiritual, get naked. <laughs> Can I just say that in church? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I mean, and this needs to be regular and I'm dead serious about this. God knows this about us. It needs to be intentional and it needs to be consistent and it needs to be regular. And you, some of you are saying, oh, come on, you're just a guy. Yeah, I'm a guy, but listen, here's what God says in, in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 2. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so you may devote yourselves to prayer. There's your reason to withhold, because you're going to pray 
intentionally together about something. That's the reason. That is the reason to withhold. Then come together again. Scripture goes on. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This isn't an, you might have a lack of self-control. This is how you are hardwired. If the Lord brought you to marriage, you will be tempted by your lack of self-control. You will be. And so I hope you caught this, that this responsibility is 100%, 100%. It's not 50-50. It's not 60-40. It's not on the guy to make sure that the physical relationship is healthy. It's not on the girl to make sure. It's on you both. It's on you both. And um, both husband and wife are called by God to be this for their spouse. And here's the thing. As you learn to be this physical with your mate, you'll have to give up some things that are your rights. You'll have to give up some things that are your preferences. And I'm not telling you that you have to give up things that you ought not to give up. I'm just telling you that you will become more selfless. And that's part of God's intention. And by the way, um, the physical part of marriage is a gift from God. It is a gift. We were raising our kids, and um, one of them was using, when they were little, was using the word sex, and he was too young to have any idea of what it was, but he'd heard the word at school, and so we thought, well, we better find out what's circulating in his mind here. <laughs> so we got him in his bedroom. Hey, I've heard you say the word sex. What is sex? Here's what his answer was. It's a gift from God. That's all he knew. That's when a parent goes, thank you, Jesus, and you just back away. Right? That's all he needed to know at that point. It's a gift from God. Now, it's possible that some of you um, might be saying to yourselves, well, that's great on paper, Terry, but I'm just, I'm just feeling empty. I'm just feeling a little empty. I, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Start now, do whatever it takes. You know, if you had something special at one time and, and you can, first off, you can have it again. I promise you though that if you had something special at one time and you don't have that something special today in your marriage, you were doing something then that you're not doing now. Start doing again what you once did. Just start doing again once you, what you once did. That, by the way, is something that Jesus says somewhere um, you'll find in the last book of the Bible where he's talking about people who have departed from their first love. If you've, you've lost your first love, which at this point is to God, start doing what you once did. Do whatever it takes to invest passionately in your marriage. Third, the third way to resist being on the pathway to adultery is this, number three. Visualize the destruction. Actually take a good look at it, you know. You know, if you want to stay faithful, you've got to take a look at the alternative, what will happen if you choose to be- betray your spouse and go down that pathway. Proverbs 3, verse, uh, 5, verses 3, the father's talking to this, his son about this adulterous woman. Verse 3, he says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. She's going to cut you up. 
Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. By the way, this is not intended to be gender specific. So let's swap the gender here. You know, An adulterous man does the exact same thing. His feet go down to death. His steps lead straight to the grave. So, you know, visualize the destruction that's here. Now, I'll give you a couple examples, but I want to tell you this. I'm sensitive to the fact that for some of you, you have been on this trail, and this, these are painful moments. Please forgive. I don't mean to do that. But I want, to, I want to take us gently to look at something that you need to look at if you're thinking about going down this trail. Guys, imagine this conversation where you sit down with your kids. Well, I can't live at home anymore, and here's why. Or ladies, you know, you're sitting with your children. Hey, you know your dad's best friend. Well, we spent too much time together. And, and you know, these conversations with our children or with friends. And frankly, those are the easy conversations. The harder conversation is going to come later. With, with the creator, the loving God of the universe where, you know, we say, you know, stand before God and we give this account, we say, you know, I realize this was your daughter and I realize I made you a promise about your daughter and that, it's inconceivable. I mean, I can't even go there. I, I just, my mind right now just kind of locks up as I start visualizing this. I mean, I've got five children, three by birth and two who became my kids because they married one of the three. And those five look at us as a role model. I don't want to break their hearts. I mean, 41 years of wedded bliss thrown away <laughs> and because of a couple of moments of selfish whatever. I mean, the destruction is terrible. And here's the thing. The enemy of our soul, Satan, he's on the prowl seeing what he can kill, rob, and destroy. And he wants to steal and destroy anything that God values. And God highly, 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 highly ma- values marriage. Now, we're done here pretty much. But I want to say, though, that maybe there's some of you that are here thinking, yeah, whatever, but I'm going to still keep going after this person. I'm, I'm going to go through with this. We're in love, and we're going to live happily ever after. Well, here's a couple of facts for you. These are just statistics out there. What percentage of people actually leave their spouse and marry their forbidden lover? The numbers are kind of, they vary according to the study. The highest I saw was 10%. The more typical numbers are closer to 1% that will actually leave. And, and you think, you know, you're going to leave your spouse and marry this person, somewhere between 1% and 10%. Of those that do and get married, how many of those marriages are still married after five years? Well, less than 20%. Over 80%, it's over with. I mean, if you do the math... How many people who are, would pursue an affair will actually marry that person and live happily ever after, however you define that? The actual percentage is 0.75. Less than 1% of people will ever be really happy. And, you know, why? Why don't they work? Lots of reasons. But the primary one, I believe, is that that relationship is built on lies and deception. Why would you ever think that that person will form a trusting relationship with you when you already know they're not faithful. 
doesn't make sense. And I know that in this room, whether they've come to the surface or not, that there probably have been some tears the whole time I've been talking about this. And I, and I know that there are people in here who have really been hurt, wounded by, by this. And, um, you know, for those of you who have been somehow betrayed, I want you to know that it breaks God's heart. This is not, you're not a statistic to him. It breaks my heart. I, I, just, I just hate to see people go through um, the kind of pain we're talking about here. And at the same time, you know, there are people here in this room who have betrayed your spouse and, and yet right now you want to heal. You, you want to grow. You want to you get your little toes back into cadence with the Lord. And many are wanting that and I, and I know that that's, and I just want to say this to all of you and to me. The grace of God is very, very, very real. It is real. God's grace is really real. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That's different than conviction, by the way. The Holy Spirit will say, hey, hey, Terry, left turn. Avert your eye. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit will say that. That's different than you worthless. You will never amount to anything. You sinner, unforgiven. That's condemnation and that comes from hell. That is not heaven. Scripture says, and you can look this up, it's Romans 8. 8.1, it's easy to find. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It goes on. And uh, I think that uh, you need to know that you're not being judged here, you're not being pushed away, um, and that, that, that when you have a, a deep and a true repentance, there can also be absolute and complete healing. Total. It's there. The arms of God are wide open if you just come back to him. In fact, I just want to wrap this up with just a little bit of really good news. <laughs> I think I should. You know, we've talked about some things that are painful and hard, and the good news is this. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. He is. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this. That's the scripture. If we are faithless, God will remain faithful. And here's the deal that every single one of us, every single one of us, we're unfaithful at some point in some way. Some way in our life. We, you know, none of us are perfect. And the good news, though, that in spite of that, God is faithful. He's always faithful. Whatever our spiritual enemy meant to destroy God, you know, he can rebuild it. He can heal it. He can forgive it. He can make all things new. Everything. He can take something that you have absolutely put into the that is lost category pluck it right out of there and say, mm, I'm going to just make that better than it ever was. I've seen that. And that's his hope and it's his desire. You know, Scripture says, you know, first, God is faithful and if you've been hurt in this way, you can argue um, and you'd be absolutely correct that adultery is grounds for divorce. You'd be correct about that. You'd be correct. But I also want you to know this. Adultery is also grounds for forgiving. It is. And that's the Lord's heart about you and your marriage. What um, the enemy means to destroy, our God can take that and he can make it better and he can make it new. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask for your spirit to go to work in hearts today. And I know for many people, for some in this room maybe, that this is a hard message. It's painful. 
I pray, Lord, that you would heal and you would mend and you would give hope and you would give vision and, and, and that, Lord, that, that, that this, somehow this message would somehow, your word would keep other people from being hurt in this way. That your, your spirit would speak to us, Lord, you would strengthen us, that you would, you would help us to be strong from giving in to the temptations of the evil one. Now, church, keep your eyes closed and I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes, including the band. Whether you're married or not, you know, please keep your eyes closed. I just want to ask a very simple question. I think there are people here who would want to honor the covenant of marriage. And I'm going to ask you, I'm, going to, I'm just going to say, here's a statement. If you agree with this, if this is your heart, raise your hand. I mean, both now and in the future, I want to be faithful to honor my God and to honor my spouse, the one that he gives me in, in Lord, in, in, in the covenant of marriage. If, if you feel that way, whether you're married now or you just want to honor the principle, would you just hold your hand up before the Lord? Mine's up. Okay, you can put them down. Lord, I, I just think the ways that, even the ways we discuss marriage out in our culture, our attitude about it, help us, Lord, to really honor the institution to try to support people around us who are married as we support our own. And I want to pray right now, Lord, for people that, who aren't married and maybe will be someday that these principles would just go right down to the foundation and not come off of there. They would never be compromised. So, Lord, I pray that the people here, we're your kids, that we would, we would long to honor you and to be godly when it comes to this. I want to pray, Lord, right now for marriages that are hurting, that are struggling. Maybe where the grass looks greener somewhere. Help us, Lord, to just take care of our own. I pray, Lord, that every marriage represented here today would be blessed, Lord, in special ways, whether they're already healthy or not, that you would just cause them to be healed and whole and just inoculate us, Lord, from unfaithfulness, I pray. And church, I keep your eyes closed. I know this has really been a heavy subject and I just want to take a bit longer and and, because the truth is that there is, in a sense, every one of us has committed adultery against God. We've we've had spiritual adultery where we've sinned against God. The reality is we're every one of us sinners and at some private, quiet moment you, we all will be confronted by that truth and we're going to recognize, you know, I've done some things in my life that maybe have hurt somebody and they've been harmful. And if I was to ask you the question right this minute, where do you stand with God? Where are you spiritually? Some people would say, I really don't know. I, I'm not sure. I could be in trouble. I've done some things. I, I might be in trouble. Here's the deal. I'm, I'm saying this to you if that's you. I, without Christ, every single one of us is in trouble. Every single one of us. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We, every single one of us. That's why the good news is such good news. That even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. And in the faithfulness of God, he did something for us that we cannot and never will be able to do for ourselves. He sent his son, Jesus, who was without sin, to pay a terrible price for our own sin. And he paid that price on the cross. He paid for the price... He was executed, and then he rose again. And he did that so that anyone who calls on the name of Christ would be saved. If you said, I'm not too sure I might be in trouble with God, 
and you recognize that you need some spiritual help, you need forgiveness, I need his grace, here is an opportunity. Scripture says that all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. If you've never called on Christ and said, Lord, save me, that's all it takes. And I'm not asking for you to stand up in front of people. I'm just asking for you to acknowledge between you and heaven. Maybe just right now, just slip your hand up and say, God, I'm calling on you for salvation. I'm going to give that a moment. That's good. I see hands. That's really good. Thank you, Lord. Lord, your majesty can't be counted. It can't be measured, but it can be received. So we receive the majesty of of forgiveness today. We receive the majesty of salvation. Fill this room, Lord, with life. I pray in Jesus' name.